Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As I mentioned, this verse is the verse from which we get our theme, Running with Patience. And uh, we've already taken a look at the verse at the beginning of the year, taking a look at laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and also to run with patience. And we took a, a, a look at that a few weeks ago. Last week, we took a look at verses number two and three, looking unto Jesus. So last week, the theme, if you will, by extension, we will run with patience. It will be because we have been looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes upon the Lord. I know that there are so many distractions in life, so many things that uh, sit in our, in our way and uh, sit along the road and so many distractions around us and so many uh, priorities and obligations that seem to come upon us. But the priority must always be to keep our eyes upon the Lord. And there will be many that will try to get in the way, but we must uh, move ourselves in a way that we could always be seeing the Lord. And we took a look at those verses, but we have kind of skipped over the very beginning of the verse. Uh, when we were taking a look two weeks ago and last week, we didn't really mention the very beginning of the verse, which says, wherefore. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a preacher who would come. He was an evangelist, and he would come and preach, and uh, he would always say, whenever you see a wherefore, you need to find out what it is there. Uh, wherefore is a connecting word, and it connects chapter 12 with chapter number 11. Now, what is chapter number 11? Chapter number 11 is our theme from last year. <laughs> Do you remember our theme from last year? But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That was our theme from last year. And chapter number 11 has been called by many the Hall of Faith. There are many Old Testament saints that are mentioned as having been trusting in the Lord, running their race, and finishing with patience. And so Paul is exhorting us when he says in verse number 1, Wherefore, all right, you remember chapter number 11? All right, remember the, the exhortation there? That we ought to trust the Lord because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And in chapter number 11, you see all of those that were running and running all the way to the end of their lives. And sometimes they would not even receive the promise that was given to them before they died. Some of the promises were fulfilled after they died. But they trusted the Lord so much so that they continued to run even though they knew, you know what? I'm not going to see this to be fulfilled. One of the great examples is, uh, uh, I mean, really, you could look at all of them, but the one that comes to mind immediately is the one of Joseph. Joseph, as you remember, was there in Egypt, but he knew this is not we, where we are meant to be. God promised us the land, and that is where we will go. And when he was about to die, you know what he told his sons and he told everybody? He said, you can bury me here, but when you leave take my bones with you. I know it's going to happen. I know it's not going to happen in my 
I'm about ready to die, but God said it, and I know it's going to be true. And when Moses led the children of Israel out, you know what the Bible records? That they dug up the bones of Joseph and they took them with them because they knew that God was fulfilling his promise. And so you see in verse number one, as he says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, look around you and look at all of the runners of faith that are around you. You see all of them in chapter number 11. That's what he's referring to. But the lesson that I want to pull out this morning is if you want to win races, surround yourself with people who have won races. It just makes sense. If you want to win, surround yourself with someone who has won. One of the greatest basketball players of our uh, generation, really one of the best basketball players of all time, is LeBron James. And I'm sure that you've heard his name for, you know, many years and uh, for many different reasons. And, you know, he's here in L.A., he plays for the Lakers, and, uh, but he grew up in Ohio. I uh, was born in Ohio. He was actually born in the same town and the same hospital as Steph Curry. So Steph Curry, one of the other greatest basketball players of our generation, they were born in the same town, in the same hospital, right there in Ohio. But he grew up there in Ohio and got drafted into the NBA in the first lottery spot. Everybody's like, this guy is a great basketball player, and he just so happened to be drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. So imagine that, the hometown kid who's kind of going to be the savior of their basketball you know, world, is drafted into the hometown team. I mean, it's, you couldn't script it. If you wrote it down in a story, you would say, ah, you know what, that never happens. That's too unrealistic. But it happened in real life. And he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he was very good. In the first couple of years, he started taking them to the playoffs and made it to the finals. And, and he'd been making it to the playoffs year after year after year after year for seven years. He was there uh, in Cleveland and uh, really playing really well. But when his contract ran out, he had an option of, all right, where do I want to play? And uh, if you remember this, some of you are basketball fans. Some of you may, may not really remember this, but there was a big like, uh, special show that he had and, and revealing the team that he was going to go to, and he went to Miami. He went to play for the Miami Heat. He was there for four years, and uh, he joined up with one of his friends, Dwayne Wade, and, and uh, wanted to play under Pat Riley. Pat Riley was a, is a very successful, he was a great basketball player and then also a great basketball coach and executive, and so wanted to be under him and in that system and you know in that culture and uh, so he went over there and they went to the NBA championship uh, four times in four years they won it twice before he went back to Cleveland after those four years he went back to Cleveland and uh, some of you will remember he won a championship in Cleveland and then now he's here in LA and he won a championship here in LA and in writing about his decision to go to Miami, because that was kind of controversial. It was kind of like, a, wow, you're really making a big deal out of this and you know, all of these sorts of things. And this is what he said about his decision after he had gone to Miami and, and uh, was uh, actually about ready to go. He said this, I learned from a franchise that had been 
where I wanted to go. You know, uh, LeBron James, who was an excellent basketball player, I'm probably the best basketball player of his day. And pretty much every year could be considered the most valuable basketball player every single year. But he had not yet won a championship. And so in looking back and in writing about his decision to go to Miami, Miami had won a championship a few years earlier. He said, I wanted to learn from a franchise that had already done the thing that I wanted to do. And so much of the Christian race is about surrounding yourself with those that have done what you want to do. So much of the Christian race is about surrounding yourself with the right kind of runners. And so I want to just pose this question to you. What kind of spiritual runners have you surrounded yourself with? When you consider the, the friends that you have and you consider maybe your best friend, what kind of spiritual runner is he? Or what kind of spiritual runner is she? When you consider those people that you spend the most of your time with, what kind of spiritual runner are they? Are they doing the thing that you hope to do, the thing that you want to do? When you consider all of the, uh, the shows that you watch online or the people that you follow on social media and, and uh, you know, the things that you search for and the things that really interest you and you really spend time following this person, watching this show, you know, really getting into and follow, you know, going down the rabbit trail of, you know, whatever is out there. You know, what, what kinds of people are you surrounding yourself with? And if we want to run well, we must surround ourselves with the right kind of runners. So as we go through the passage and as we go through the verses, I want you to just, you know, have that question sitting in your mind. What kind of runners do I surround myself with? What kind of runners do I spend the most time with? What kind of runners do I uh, really reach out to and, and encourage and have them to encourage me. So this morning, I want to see three kinds of runners that will help you finish your race. The first, we see surround yourself with great runners. Surround yourself with great runners. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, as I have mentioned, chapter number 11, which is what he is referring to, are Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints have all passed away by this time. As, as Paul, we're presuming this is Paul, Paul writes about those runners in the past. He mentions people like David, mentions people like Moses, he mentions people like Noah, he mentions all of these Old Testament saints, Samson and, and Samuel and others, and, and he's writing about these Old Testament saints. They have all finished their race. And he says, these have finished and run their race with patience Surround yourself with them. You want to surround yourself with runners who have run the race before. Imagine yourself, you've just signed up for a big race. You know, maybe you're, you know, you're about to uh, run in a half marathon, or maybe you're being really ambitious, you're about to run in a full marathon. And uh, this is your first race, you've never run this race before, 
you know, you're, you're just kind of, you know, thinking about it and you're standing there at the starting line. And so, you know, in a race like that, there's going to be tons of people. And uh, so, you know, if it's a really important race like the New York Marathon or, you know, Boston Marathon, you know, you'll have those very elite runners at the very front. They're the ones that get started first and, you know, you want to give them the opportunity. You, want, you don't want them kind of caught in the big crowd of people who are just trying to, you know, make it to the end. And so they're, they're at the front and then, you know, you might have some tiers of groups that run after them. And so imagine you're in one of these groups. And there's just, I mean, there's people all around you everywhere. And so, you know, you're about to start the race. You know, I imagine that you might be feeling a little nervous, you know, it's your first race, you know, and, you know, you're kind of getting a little nervous and, uh, you know, you're getting a little antsy. You can't really stand too still. And, you know, you look over next to you and, you know, there's this guy, you know, he's decked out and, you know, he's got the headband on, and, you know, he's kind of looking real confident, you know, and he's talking to himself, pumping himself up, you know, and, and you're standing here looking at him going, wow, you know, he, he really looks like he knows what he's doing and, you know, he looks like he's got it, you know, and, and uh, so, you, you know, you, you introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Richard. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. And, you know, you get to talking and uh, you're like, wow, you really seem to know what you're doing. Yeah, I really got a great plan. I got an awesome plan. You know, I'm going to get out there and I'm just going to set the, set the tone and, and set the pace. I'm going to run out there as fast as I can and just get in front of everybody else. Get out of the crowd and, and just run as fast as I can all the way through to the end. And that's what I'm going to do. And uh, being your first time, maybe you don't know what to do. And you think, wow, man, he really sounds like he knows what he's doing. And you ask him, wow, you know, how many times have you run this before? You know, how many times have you, have you uh, won, the, won, won this race? Is like, oh, this is my first time running. I've never done this before, but, you know, I know what I'm going to do. You might be like, well, okay, all right, you know. Yeah, yeah you have some of the things that you, you have your own plans, but you've never finished the race before. I don't know if your advice is good or not. You know, and if you're a runner, you'll know uh, if you're running a marathon, you don't want to run as fast as you can right at the beginning. If anything, you want to run slower than you think you should be running. You want to pace yourself for the run ahead of you. And so it's easy to feel like, wow, that person's really confident. He must really know what he's doing. But if he's right at the same place as you, he doesn't know any better than you. He's not any farther along than you. He's not run this race before. He doesn't know what it takes to finish the race. He might have a good idea. It might be right. It might be wrong. But he hasn't proven himself. And it's good for us to surround ourselves with great runners. How do you know if a runner is great? when they've done it before. Lots of people have potential, but few have proven themselves. If you want to run your race, surround yourself with great runners that have proven themselves, that have run the race that you're running, that have been where you are and have finished that part, finished their course, finished their race, and learned from them. One of the great examples from the Bible is the Apostle Paul. As he is writing this letter, this last letter to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul's own testimony, of course, he's writing in humility, but he's saying, you know what? I finished the job. 
I did what God called me to do. I have made it to the end of the race. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul says, I have made it to the end of my race. There is a reward that is waiting for me and for you too. If you will run your race with patience, you will have the reward as well. Paul wrote more books of the New Testament than any other person. And his testimony at the end of his life was, I have finished my course. Now that's somebody that you want to learn from. Now, we're going to run the Christian race. I mean, you, you would want to learn from somebody like Paul, somebody who's been there, somebody who's been through the trials, somebody who went out and, and a witness and planted churches and, and was serving and mentoring and discipling and, and been through all sorts of ups and downs and, and has a testimony. You know what? I know that I can depend upon the Lord. I know that God's grace is sufficient. I know that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You would say, there is something there to learn from the Apostle Paul. I, let's take a look at the life of Apostle Paul. See what we could learn. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, his running philosophy. Verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? If you run in the Olympics, they don't give gold medals to everyone. They give out one gold medal. There's one gold medal, and they only give it to the person who finishes first. He says, you know, everybody that runs... Not everybody gets the prize. Not everybody gets the gold medal. Only one receives the gold medal. So, run that ye may obtain. You know what Paul says? Here's my philosophy. My philosophy is I'm running as if I'm running for a gold medal. Consider all of the athletes that train year after year after year after year after year in obscurity, right? We know about Olympic athletes only because they show the Olympics on TV, right? <laughs> you see it and you read about it, but you know, uh, in between the Olympics, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know where they are. We don't know how they're training or how their lives are going. We don't really keep up with them. We don't know about these swinner, swimmers. We don't know about these runners. And we don't know about these uh, athletes that compete in all sorts of track and field and all sorts of different sports in the Olympics. We don't really know about all of them and, and what exactly they're doing. But every day they train, every month, every year, year after year, they're getting themselves ready for the Olympics and they are going for that gold medal. That's their aim. That's their goal. That's their mindset. You know what? It doesn't matter if anybody else knows what I'm doing. It doesn't matter the sacrifices that I have to make. There's a gold medal to be won and I'm going for the gold medal. That was their philosophy. And Paul says, that's my philosophy. And every man, verse 25, that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He says, you know that mentality. They cut back on their diet. They cut back on their free time. They cut back on their sleep. They cut back on their hobbies. They, they take out all of these things because they know, hey, everybody else is going for this gold medal too. You know, it's not going to be just a, a walk in the park. I, i got to go for it if I'm going to win this gold medal. And so it, they are temperate in all things. 
They're going to cut out the carbs that they need to. They're going to cut out the sugars. They're going to cut out the Cokes. They're going to cut out the in and outs. They're going to cut out, you know, time spent in their hobbies, all of that in order to win a gold medal. But Paul says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. They're running for something that doesn't even last, especially in this day. In the day of the Apostle Paul, they would have these races, you know, and uh, they would have these uh, uh, competitions. They had, the, of course, the old school Olympics that was obviously revived in modern days, but they had other competitions as well. But they didn't give out gold medals when they won the races. They would get these wreaths that they would place upon the crowns of the winners. And they were just branches from a, a particular tree and a, a particular bush. And so they would just take these and, and put them on the heads of the winners. And everyone could understand this analogy perfectly. That those, those branches, they're going to fade really fast. Now, we would say, wow, that's, that's really fast. But gold medals, you know, gold doesn't just disappear. You know, gold, gold persists. But in the eyes of God, gold is just the same as a branch. Because in the light of eternity, gold's not going to last either. And so he says, now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, something that doesn't last, but we, an incorruptible. We're not running for something that will fade away and will not last. We're running for something that will last forever. I, therefore, so run. As much as an Olympic athlete runs for a corruptible crown, we ought to run for an incorruptible crown. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You see the Apostle Paul and you think, boy, that man knows how to run in the spiritual race. Amen. Uh, that, that's somebody who started off well, he was faithful through the middle parts, and uh, ran through the valleys, and he made it to the end, and he finished his course. If you want to learn how to run, you, you might want to take a look at the life of an Apostle Paul. And as you read through the letters, you could see, this is how I think about running the race. As you read the letters to 1st and 2nd Corinthians and, and uh, Galatians and Ephesians and you think about Romans and you think about 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and you read these, you can, you can learn a lot about how Paul approached the ministry, his heart, his philosophy. That's a great opportunity for you to follow great runners. There are also great runners that are surrounding you here in the church. People who have been where you want to be. People who have gone through the, the struggles and the trials that you have and have made it through to the other side. People who have faced the same uncertainties that you face and have made it through and found themselves to be able to testify that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me encourage you when you are here as a, as a, as a believer, those of you that are saved, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I know that in our Life Connection classes, you know, we break up mostly into age groups. We have a kids class, and then we have a youth class, and then we have like a career, college and career class. You might call it a young adult class, you know. And, you know, mostly it's kind of split up into different ages and different grades, and I think there's great reason for that. But also, let me encourage you, don't limit yourself to only your peers. 
You want to build relationships with somebody who's been where you want to be. Hey, if you're a teenager, you ought to be looking at people in the church who, and you look at them and you think, you know what? In, in five years when I'm in college or in 10 years when I'm out of college, I want to be where they are. I want to be faithful like they're faithful. And I want to be able to serve like they're serving. And they navigated themselves through the college life. College is full of of temptations. College is full of spiritual dangers. And it would be wise for you to learn from somebody like that. For somebody who, to say, you know what, you went to a secular college and you're still serving here in the church and you're teaching a class and, and uh, you, you, you went in ministry or different things. It would do you well to find somebody who's been there and done it and made it through. It would do you well to think, you know what, I'm single and I'm looking to get married, or you're about to get married, or you're just recently married, to find somebody, and you look at their marriage, and you think, you know what? I want to have the kind of marriage that you have. I want to be able to know what is it that you did in your marriage that is so different from everything else that you see on TV, all of the things that you see with celebrities, all of the things that you see out in, uh, in, the, in the world around us, and, and just think, you know what? How did you do it? How did you get there? You know, if you've got kids, you're thinking about kids, you should find somebody and, 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 and you look at their kids and think, you know what, I want my kids to grow up to be, like, to be like that. You know, nobody's perfect, of course, no parent is perfect, no child is perfect, no Christian is perfect, we understand all of that, but just to be able to say, you know what, they navigated through a lot of things that I know that I'm going to have to navigate through and it would do me well to find out how did they run that race of marriage, how did they run that race of being a father, of being a mother? How did they run that race of you know, going through maybe college and maybe living in the dorms or going to a secular college and all of that that goes on there? It would do you well. If you want to run your race and finish your course, surround yourself with great runners. Secondly, we see that we should surround ourselves with a group of runners. You know what's better than running with a great runner? Running with two great runners. And you know what's better than running with two great runners? Running with three great runners. You know what? It's great when you find one. It's even better when you find two. And it's even better when you find three. And we're going to see three groups of runners that we ought to surround ourselves with. The first, of course, is the Lord himself. That's what we took a look at last week in, in verses number two and three, when he says in verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus had a race that was set before him and he finished his race with joy. If you want to know how you could finish your race with joy, surround yourself with great runners, the first of which is the perfect runner, Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you. That's why we read our Bibles every day. We read our Bibles every day so that we could get into the Word. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, uh, uh, was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Christ himself. You want to be with Jesus? Get into the Word. You want to run with Jesus? Get into the Bible. Read the Bible. 
uh, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, open up, a, get, download a Bible app and just open it up somewhere. You know, I have a physical Bible that I do my daily devotions in and, and uh, there's a, you know, the, the pattern that we read. Uh, that I'm reading, you know, that, that paper that I gave out uh, towards the end of last year and uh, just finished the book of Genesis. And, and uh, there's, there's great opportunities there. And so that's what I do. But sometimes I'm just out and about and uh, I don't have my Bible with me. Uh, you know, it's a pretty big Bible. You know, there's space to write notes in and things like that. And so I, I don't carry it everywhere. Uh, mostly it's either at home or I'll bring it here into the office when I'm working. And, and uh, so oftentimes when I'm just out and I, I feel the need, I need to read the Bible, I'll just open up a Bible app and uh, either I'll pick up where I left off or just like the other day, yesterday or two days ago, you know, I just read the proverb of the day. And so I was like, you know what? I got some time. I'm going to read something. And so I, I, I began to read Proverbs chapter number 20. And so, you know, have access to Christ himself with you, memorizing the word, reading the word, having access to the word by downloading an app or, you know, even carrying a little Bible with you everywhere that you go. Surround yourself with great runners, beginning, of course, with Jesus Christ. But there are other runners that we could surround ourselves with, and we've referenced this already, but past runners. In professional sports, great athletes are always studying the other greats of the past. They're always looking back at those that were the MVPs, those that were the greats of their generation. They look back and they, they see what they did and, and they, they, they studied how, how, how they were able to do what they did. And, you know, if you're a basketball player, you're, you're going to be studying like Michael Jordan. You're going to be looking at tapes of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and some of these other greats. And I'm sure many will take a look back on Steph Curry and LeBron James and many of the other great basketball players. They, they look at them, you know, why? Because they want to learn, hey, here's somebody who is the greatest of his generation, and I want to be the greatest of my generation. I'm going to go see what he did and learn a few things from them. And you know what the Word of God is? The Word of God is in many places a record of past runners, those that have run their race and run it well so that we might learn. Romans chapter 15 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. The Bible is so that we might learn. That we through what? Patience. What's our theme for the year? Running with patience. God gave us the Bible so that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hey, if they did it, so can I. And so can you, and so can we. And the Bible is full of examples who have run their race and finished their race with patience. That's what chapter 11 is about. Why do we have chapter number 11 in the book of Hebrews? Hebrews 11 is those that have run their race with patience and finished. And the exhortation is, look at them. Surround yourself with them, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So let's go back to chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. And there's many that we could take a look at. We won't take a look at all of them, but I just want to pick out a few. Let's take a look at Noah. Noah's an example that people know and they're familiar with. Noah, in verse number 7, being warned of God of things not, as, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the 
she condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You know what God did here for Noah? He said, a flood is coming, so build a boat. That's what an ark is. An ark is literally a box, a big wooden box, a ship, and you're going to need this ship because a flood is coming. Now, God didn't explain everything. He didn't say the rains are going to come down for 40 days. He didn't say that the fountains of the deep are going to be broken up. He didn't explain any of that. All he said was, a flood is coming, so build a boat. That's all Noah had. Noah didn't have all of the explanations. You know, there's a great example there that, that faith is understanding what God has re re revealed to us and trusting him for the part that we have not seen or the part that we don't know. And sometimes we want to know everything. And it's good to know things. If God said it, we should know it. And in life, if there's a reason for it, we should, we should seek to understand, why is it this way? How, how does this work? You, you want to do that. But sometimes God says, nope, here is the line of what I will explain. Beyond that is going to be a mystery to you. You just have to trust me on that one. And that's what faith is. You know what God in his infinite wisdom said, I'm going to draw a line beyond which I'm not going to tell you, you just have to trust me. And that's what running our race with patience is about, trusting the Lord. Abraham was another great example. In verse number eight, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a, a, a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham goes out there. And he's told, you leave and you go, but I'm not telling you where to go. I'll just tell you when we get there. You know, we like to know where we're going. And we like to know when we're going to get there. We like to know all the little details of things like that. But God sometimes says, you know what? Why don't you just let me drive the car and I'm not going to tell you how long it's going to take and I'm not going to tell you exactly where we're going, but I promise you where we're going is going to be best for you. And we have a choice. If we're going to follow God, or we're going to say, you know what, let me off here. You know, I, I don't like where this is going. I don't know where you're going. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you say it's going to be great, but I don't really know. You know what, Abraham said, you know what, God said, this is where he wants me to be, and I'm going to go. And I bless him for it. It's a great example. Sarah was another wonderful example. Verse number 11, through faith, also Sarah herself received seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. You know how old Sarah was when she had a baby? She was 90. We lived to 90. We're thinking, wow, I've lived a long time. 90 is many years. If you're 90, you're not thinking about, I wonder if have a baby. <laughs> That's just not what's on your mind. Sarah had a baby at 90 because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah is a wonderful example for those that trust God even when they think it's too late. You ever been there? I would love to do that, but it's too late. 
I would love to be able to go back and, and uh, change the course of my life and change the decisions that I made. And, and maybe if I could go back to when I was a, a little kid, when I, when I was a teenager and had a decision of where to go to college and the direction of my life. And, and uh, oh, maybe when I was a young adult and had all these, but now, you know, I'm married or I have kids or, you know, I, you know, every, you know I'm older or all these different sorts of things. You know, I think, oh, you know what? That would have been great when I was younger, but now it's too late. You know, none of us can go back and change our decisions. But we can all still serve God. And sometimes it's not too late if God says, this is what I want you to do. When I was in Bible college, uh, I was at West Coast for two years. And um, uh, I was there for not that long. And, but one of the opportunities that I had was over the spring break of my last year there, uh, I had the opportunity to go with one of these traveling uh, singing groups. And so we've had these groups come through here before, you know, where uh, there's like a quartet or a trio, uh, some of the Bible college students that come, and there's like a, a chaperone, a sponsor that comes along, and, you know, they come and they sing, and then, you know, they preach, and they encourage us uh, with, their, with their music abilities and the preaching of the Word of God, and, and oftentimes they'll bring some materials, sometimes there's some great books or some music CDs that people like to pick up, and, and uh, people who are interested in the college is a great opportunity to to connect with somebody and say, hey, you know what, uh, if you're interested, you know, I'd love to be able to help you with that. And you could send in some information and, you know, go back and forth, things like that. And so, uh, so I have one of these opportunities, but not over the summer. It was over spring break. So spring break is, it's basically a week. And so we left, I think on Friday after classes were over and uh, we were in Northern California. And so we went to the Northern California area. And so we, we were, uh, you know, not in every church in some of these cities, but driving through some of the cities. We were in Santa Clara and we went up through San Leandro. And ultimately, I think the farthest place we ended up was in Chico. So we were, we were kind of up there in that area. And so we would go to these different churches and, and uh, I was a piano player. So I, I would play the piano and, uh, you know, the, the guys, they would sing. It was like a men's quartet. And so it was four guys that were in the quartet. There was me, the piano player, and then there was a, a faculty member from, from the college. He was actually a pretty young guy. Uh, I think he and I were actually about the same age. I was a little bit older when I went to Bible college. So I think we were actually about the same age. And then uh, we had a... Uh, we had uh, these four college students that were sing. So we, we went around and we started traveling to uh, these different places. And so uh, it was great. It was great to see some of the churches, see some of the ministries. And, and I remember on one of these trips, we went to one of these uh, 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 churches. And uh, it was uh, a man who, the pastor there, he was the founder, I guess, of the church. He was the one who planted the church. He was the very first pastor of the church. And uh, he had started that church uh, when he was in his mid-40s, he had, uh, from when he was a young adult, just worked a secular job, got married, had kids, and when he was in his 40s, God said, I want you in ministry. Having been married with kids, he said, okay. And he went, and he got some uh, training, and he planted a church. And I think he was in his 50s at that point, you know, and I just thought, you know what, that's really encouraging. Um, to be able to know, you know what, if God says this is what I want you to do, you don't have to worry about it. It's not too late. You can still trust God. 
You still go for God. Sarah is a great example of that. You can take a look at Moses and the sacrifice that he made of the world. He gave up the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He said the reward of God is greater than the reward of the world. And so he gave up the world. He gave up his position. He gave up his wealth. He gave up all that he had in the world in order to follow God. Following God, God gave him a much greater reward. That's his testimony. I love what he says in verse number 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. He says, I don't, I don't have time to tell you about all of these people. You know what we could do though? Let's read it for ourselves. You know, getting into the Bible and reading about these people. Gideon. In the book of Judges, Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David. We know about David, David and Goliath, King David, Samuel the prophet, the other prophets. Hey, let's get into the Bible and let's see, hey, how did they run their race? Let's surround ourselves with a group of great runners, the first of which is Christ himself, the second of which is those that have run in the past. You might even take a look at some that have uh, passed away in years past and read some of their writings and, and uh, read some of their biographies. Thirdly, we see the church. You know why we gather ourselves together? In order to encourage each other to run our race. See, we're here in chapter number 12 and now chapter number 11, but really this is all beginning back in chapter number 10. Chapter number 10 in verse number 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what the writer here is saying? He's saying we need to run. You know what will help you in your run? Surrounding yourself with other runners. Where are you going to find other runners? In the church. You know why we gather together? in the church, to encourage each other to keep running. So here we see two groups or two kinds of runners. First, you got to surround yourself with great runners. Then you want to surround yourself with a group of runners. Thirdly and lastly, we want to surround ourselves with galvanizing runners. Runners who will encourage us to run. Let's go back to chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, seeing all of these that have run their race already, and we are surrounding ourselves with them, looking at them, what did he say? Let us lay aside. He's saying, let's do it. Every weight, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. You know what Paul is saying? Let's do it. Let's run. Let's lay aside the weight. Let's lay aside the sins. You know what? If you want to run far, you can't surround yourself with people who are all, always asking, why are we running? Are we there yet? 
when can we stop? I'm tired. If you're running with people who are always saying, I'm tired, can we stop? I'm tired, can we stop? I'm tired, can we stop? All right, we'll stop already, <laughs> you know? If you surround yourself with runners like that, you're not going to run very far. If you surround yourself with spiritual runners that are always saying, eh, we don't need to go to church, eh, we don't need to read our Bible, eh, we don't need to do that, we don't need to soul win, we don't need to serve, you don't need to be involved, you're not going to run. You need to surround yourself with runners that will encourage you to run. You need to find people that are getting to you and telling you, let's run. Don't surround yourself with people who distract you away from the Lord. Don't surround yourself with people who say, ah, you don't need to be involved with that. Hey, are you going to go? Nah, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to those revival services. We got revival services coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a great opportunity for you to surround yourself with a great runner. I, one of the reasons why I love having Dr. Getch come every single year, he has proven himself for decades and decades and decades in faithfulness and, and seeing how God is uh, working through him. It's a great opportunity for you, you to just spend time with him and, and talk to him and ask him some questions. Other believers will be here as well. Hey, if you're going to surround yourself with people who are always not involved, always saying, ah, you know, I don't really want to do that, always dragging their feet. You're not going to run. You're going to quit. You're going to stop. You're not going to run the way that you want to run because we all want to run. That's why we're here. We're here because we want to run. And it's hard running. So you know what we need to do? Surround ourselves with runners that will encourage us to run. For Christmas, I, uh, I got a... Uh, a, a new tablet. I got uh, this is uh, this tablet that I use. Uh, I got it for Christmas. A bunch of my family got together and uh, pitched in together and got me this tablet uh, for Christmas. And I really appreciate it. You know, uh, I have a computer here in the office, but uh, I preach off of my tablet uh, when I'm at home. Uh, sometimes when I need to get things done, or sometimes I have an idea. Uh, you know, the kids have been put to bed, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll break out this and uh, I'll type out a few things and I'll write down some of my thoughts and I'll maybe do a little bit more study. And so it's a great uh, tool for me in the ministry. It's simple. It's not too heavy. It doesn't weigh me down. I could take it with me everywhere that I go. Sometimes if I have an appointment somewhere and I don't know, you know, maybe I'm going to wait for a long time. Sometimes I'll just take this with me just in case and have something ready to go. And uh, so uh, when I'm in the youth group, sometimes I'll play games in the youth group. And so I'll, I'll use this tablet for that uh, just all over the place. So I, I use it a lot. Uh, and when I got this and I, you know, registered, set it all up and everything, uh, I got these notifications that, uh, that said, hey, you can have a free three-month subscription to Fitness Plus. And so I was like, oh, okay, all right. I've heard about this Fitness Plus thing, but I've never had it before, never used it before. And so I thought, oh, all right, three months, free. Sure, I'll sign up. So I signed up. And uh, if you don't know what uh, Fitness Plus is, so if, you're, if you have an iPhone, there's a fitness app, and it tracks things like, you know, if you have a watch, how long you slept, it'll track like if you stood up and walked and stuff like that. You know, all the, you know, a lot of that basic stuff. But there's an app or a part of the app called Fitness Plus, it's a subscription, and basically it's a bunch of workout videos. Uh, just as kind of like, hey, if you want to work out and uh, you could follow this, you know, instructor on the screen. And uh, there's all sorts of different uh, types of workouts. 
uh, there's the, the HIT workout, the high intensity uh, training workout. Uh, they have even workouts where you have weights. So if you want to do strength training and you have weights, then you know, you know, it'll tell you these are the weights that you need. Uh, these are, you know, use however much you want, you know, based on how strong you are, and, and you could work out here. And then they even have things for like if you have a rowing machine or a treadmill, you know, they've got videos for that. And so there's all these videos for this. And so I thought, you know, oh, this is curious. You know, they got kickboxing videos, you know, and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, you know, this is interesting. So uh, I just wanted to see. So I, I, one of the first categories was the, the hit, the high intensity uh, one. And so I said, oh, you know, I clicked on that one. And uh, the guy kind of introduced the whole thing. And it's like 20 minutes, you know, it's not that long. So 20 minutes. And uh, so I was watching this video. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's getting up there describing, you know, all of the, you know, different uh, things. All right, we're going to work out for 40 seconds. And then we're going to have a 20 second, you know, uh, 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 rest and then another 40 seconds and then a rest, you know, and he's describing all of these things. Uh, Brian was his name. And so, you know, he, he gets into the workout. So he gets into the workout and he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, do this thing four times over this direction. And then we're going to jump and then we're going to go this way. And then we're going to do this thing and we're going to do that thing, you know, and, and I'm watching this whole video, uh, slightly amused, you know, but also kind of noticing a pattern here. And one of the things that he said all the time was the words, let's go. Let's go. All right, we're, gonna, we're in a new, uh, you know, we finished five minutes. All right, let's go. Come on, let's go. And he kept saying it, you know, it's like almost every minute. He said, let's go, let's go. Come on, let's go, let's do it. And, you know, and, and I noticed this thing, you know, he's saying, let's go, let's go, you know. You know what he's doing as the instructor? He's trying to encourage people, hey, let's do it. Don't stop, don't quit. Let's keep going. Let's go. Now, if I could kind of take on a persona as being perhaps one of your spiritual fitness instructors, maybe I too could also say, let's go. Hey, let's go. Hey, let's serve God. Hey, let's go to the services. Hey, let's go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Hey, let's read our Bibles every day. Hey, let's get into the word and let's pray every day. Let's go. Come on. Don't quit. Let's keep going. The Bible is full of examples of people who said, let's go. All of Hebrews 11, all of them are saying with the same voice, the same testimony, let's go. Let's trust God. Keep running. Don't quit. Let's go. One of the great examples of this kind of runner that you want to be around, that'll encourage you, is in the Old Testament. It's when the Israelites were, they left Egypt and they're about to go into the promised land. So Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, the 10 plagues, and, and uh, they spoiled the Egyptians, and they left, and, and God miraculously uh, uh, split the Red Sea, and they crossed on dry ground, and, and the, the Egyptians tried to go in, and God broke up the wheels of their chariots, and they were stuck, and they said, oh, no, this is God. And, and God closed up the Red Sea, and they saw them no more, the Bible says. It's a great example of salvation. Once you're saved, hey, your, your sins are gone. The penalty is gone. Hell is gone forever. You don't ever have to worry about that. But let's look forward. And so they go forward. And they're, they're, God wants them to go to the promised land. And so they go to the promised land. You remember before they go into the promised land, Moses gets 12 people. One from every tribe. We call them the spies. And they go into the land to spy out the land. 
We've heard about the promised land for so long, but we've never seen it ourselves. So they send in the spies. And it's been said that it was a land of milk and honey, and they came back and they said, yep, it's a land of milk and honey. The Bible says that the grapes of Eshkol, they had, you know, when you think of grapes, you go to Costco or whatever, you know, you get a little plastic container of grapes, you know, or a little bag of grapes, you know. These guys, they didn't have a little bag of grapes. They literally had to grab a pole and put it in between two guys and set the cluster of grapes on top of it. I mean, it's a, it's a special land. And so they go in and they see all of this and they come back and they said, it's exactly what God said it would be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. I mean, this is incredible. And, but there are giants in the land. The sons of Anak are there. We're but grasshoppers in their sights. We're puny people. We're going to die in there. At least that's what 10 of them said. But two of them said something different. In Numbers chapter 14, verse number 6, the Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. When they heard what the other spies were saying and all the people were saying, they rent their clothes and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Against the Lord, neither fear ye the Lord of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. You know what Joshua and Caleb are saying? Let's go. Let's go into the promised land. I know that there are giants there. I understand that, but God is with us. We don't have to be scared of them. This is what God wants us to do. Let's go. You know what we do as a church together? That's what we say to each other. Hey, let's go. Hey, let's do it. Hey, let's not quit. Let's not give up. Let's go. Hey, let's be faithful. Let's read our Bibles. Let's strengthen each other in the Lord. And let's, uh, let's pray for each other. Let's be faithful. Hey, let's find somebody that needs the gospel, a witness to them. And, and uh, let's encourage each other in the Lord. Maybe you want to get involved in a discipleship program. Maybe you want to be one who will disciple others in the word of God. And uh, here is a Joshua and Caleb saying, let's go. Here are the uh, testimony of the Old Testament saints and Abraham and Moses and Noah saying, let's go. Paul the apostle, he said, let's go. And our church is full of people saying, let's go. So if you want to run your race with patience, you got to surround yourself with the right kind of runners. Runners that will say, let's go. Let's go. Runners that have done the race before, many runners that have accomplished different things that you could learn from, and runners that'll just encourage you to say, come on, don't quit. Let's go.